Hello, and welcome to The Alternate Timeline. This week, we are talking about the Flash Forward episode, Shock and Awe. It's Friday. It's probably Friday evening by the time you get this, because it's already Friday evening when I'm recording it, and I live in California, so it's probably late your time by the time this goes out. Um, It's been a long week. I have had a week full of logistics, basically, like little annoying tasks that are required and important, but not the most fun to do, Um, which is why I'm behind on a lot of things, including this bonus podcast. So um, a couple of reasons for that, Um, just a couple things I'm working on that are not flash forward. Um, So I'm in final copy edits for the book, which is awesome. I'm really excited Um, the cover is almost ready for me to reveal it to you, and as soon as I can show it to you, I will. As soon as there is a pre-order link, I know I say this all the time, I will be so loud about it, so, and that that time's coming soon. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. Um, but for that sort of, like, final copy editing pass, it's just a lot of little things, you know, like adding a period in the comics and checking the copy and finalizing all these little edits and picking a couple of inside colors and making sure that the back the copy on the back of the book is like correct. Um, just like a lot of little things that are good and important, but I'm not a super detail oriented person a lot of the time. So, um, some of this stuff is hard for me. So it's very draining to like do. Um, I am also in the sort of like sped up production process for a show called Open World, which was supposed to come out last year, but then, um, A lot of things happened, things got slower, and then it was going to come out early this year. It was going to come out in like January, February, March maybe, and then obviously the pandemic happened, and then the whole team that I was working with at this company who had hired me to host the show, that whole team got laid off, Um, and so it just sort of has been a lot of back and forth. It wasn't super clear if the show was even happening, Um, and now the show is happening, which is exciting, but we also kind of want to get it out before the election, um, and that's soon. So we are kind of in this rush now to get it finished and get it out. Um, and so that's great, but also sort of suddenly a bunch of stuff that I need to do as the host of the show and also kind of now as the de facto kind of project manager on that show. So, yeah. Um I will have a trailer for you to be able to listen to soon. Um, I can't send it to you now. I can't play it for you right now. But as soon as I have a trailer, you will be the first to hear it. So um, whenever that's ready, I will sneak it into the feed and you'll be able to hear it. Um, And then the last thing on top of all that stuff um, is that I recently sold a new podcast to a very fancy and well-funded podcast network. Um, I can't actually sort of talk about what it is, but it's very exciting. That podcast is not my baby. Um, I'm not hosting it. It's kind of not in the flash forward world. Um, I'm executive producing it. I'm sort of puppeteering behind the scenes. Um, a friend of mine had the idea, but had never made a podcast before. So we sort of partnered up and she's the host and is kind of the driving force. And I'm kind of the the logistical showrunner kind of person. Um, But in that role, in that executive producer role, a lot of my work is front-end work. So like hiring an AP, hiring an editor, getting everybody the account set up, you know, getting all the invoices done, getting everybody paid, you know, all of that stuff falls on me because this is all being produced through my production company. Um, And so that's all, again, exciting and good and yay for money and yay for hiring. And that's great. Um, 
it's just a lot of stuff on my plate. Once that's all done and we have the team in place and everything sort of set up, I can kind of set them off and they'll they'll be able to work on stuff and it'll be a little less on my plate directly. Um, but this first part of it is just a lot of stuff for me to do. So I've been really busy with that this week. Um, and then there are two other things that I'm working on that I cannot actually tell you anything about um, yet, but when I can, I will do so. Um, and then there's like my human life <laughs> that I am living. Um, so yeah, which I've like honestly been neglecting. It's been a long week of late nights and lots and lots of emails. And um, for that hiring of the AP for that um, new podcast that I mentioned, um, we posted an AP job, associate producer, and we got 135 applications, which is so many. And the hardest part of it was that most of them were actually like really great. Um, you know, there were obviously like some people who didn't read the job posting or like weren't qualified at all or whatever it was, but a lot of people, a lot of people were really good. And so actually one of the things I have to do this weekend is the, my least favorite possible task, which is sending rejection emails, which I hate doing. It's super unfun, um, particularly when you know that the people you're not hiring are great. Um, you know, the person we did hire is amazing, and I'm super excited to have her on the team. But yeah, it sucks to have to tell people that they didn't get it. Um, and I also sort of like, to the point of perhaps absurdity, spend a lot of time trying to be as sort of personal and humane in the hiring process as possible. So a lot of people who applied about 50 to 60 people who applied are getting like a personal email from me where I sort of talk a little bit about their application and try to kind of like give them something that feels not like just a form rejection. Um, just because I know that the hiring process is really brutal and really um, awful and impersonal a lot of the time. And if I can be a force for good on that front, I will try to do so. Um, so that's a big task I have this weekend is going through all those emails, which I'm dreading, but um, they need to get done. And, you know, it's also like I, I recognize that being in this position of power, like, oh, boohoo, you like have to tell no, tell people no, like it's way worse for them, you know, hearing the no, you know, so I, I get that. There's not a lot of sympathy on my side. I'm the one with the money and the power here. But, um, but yeah, this is my podcast and I'm going to complain about what I want to complain about. <laughs> Anyway, so that's kind of all the stuff that I've been up to. Um, I will be working this whole weekend probably. I'm really behind on getting the next Advice for and from the Future episode out. I'm super excited for you to hear that one. It is about – well, no, I'm not going to tell you what it's about. It's um, it's a good one though. And um, the interview is really good. The person I interviewed is amazing. I just have to finish the coda and record that stuff and just a lot of stuff to do. Anyway, I'm behind. It's basically the gist. I am behind. But um, that's fine. The point of this podcast episode, this bonus podcast, is not to complain about how I am behind. It is to talk a little bit about um, the episode of Flash Forward this week. So the episode of Flash Forward this week is called Shock and Awe, um, and it is about electrical healing. Um, and so just, I guess first I'll say that this episode happened because in January of this year, I flew on an airplane, which now feels absolutely wild. I flew on an airplane to Chicago in January and it was so cold and 
but it was very fun. And I was there for something called Ord Camp, which is this little conference full of weird people. I got to meet some people who I have been a big fan of on the internet for a long time. I got to see some people who I haven't seen in a long time. It was really fun. Um, it was good. And one of the cool things about Ord Camp is that it is what they call a quote unquote unconference, which actually often I secretly hate because it means that a lot of people who like don't actually like aren't qualified to give a talk, we'll put a talk up on the board. So if you've never been to an unconference, it's basically a place where or a conference where the programming is not predetermined. The programming is determined by the folks who are there. And often what that looks like is, you know, there's some big board or some, you know, digital space where people can suggest talks that they either want to give or want to see, and then people can kind of vote on them. And that's how WordCamp works. Um, and I did, I went to a talk that I saw on the board that was given by one Dr. Daniel Cohen, um, who you heard on the episode. And he gave this talk about his work, about the hurting of the cells. And um, also he, he showed us tardigrades in person. So you've heard about tardigrades on the show before. They are these incredible little water bears, these little creatures. Um, they're super cute. They're also fascinating for research purposes. And I have, you know, read a ton about them, seen a ton of pictures, but I'd never actually seen one in person. And he brought microscopes and he brought water bears for us to look at in person. And they were like moving around and it was so cool. Um, and they're amazing. And um, yeah, I just like, they're so cool. Um, anyway, so I saw him give his talk and the water bears are very cool. But the other part of it, I was like, oh, we sh I should definitely have you on the show to talk about electricity and bioelectricity and healing and all that stuff. So I actually did this interview with him many, many months ago um, uh, and then kind of saved it for for now. Um, so that was really fun and I'm, I'm glad that I talked to him. Um, and yeah, and there was a lot of stuff that I cut from this episode actually um, just because, you know, there were a lot of tangents that I got interested in. We already kind of went on one big tangent, which was about Mary Shelley and about bioelectricity and history, which I thought was super interesting. But another thing that I didn't end up including or didn't end up keeping in is something about newts um, and also other animals. But basically, I mentioned in the episode that certain newts um, can regrow limbs, right? That uh, certain animals can regrow limbs. You probably are aware of that. Earthworms, starfish, some salamanders, and newts. Um, and there's this question of like, why? can some animals do this and other animals cannot, right? Like we cannot do this. And how does it work? Like how, how is that possible? Um, there are a lot of things at play here. There are a lot of elements. There's a lot of research on gene expression and molecular biology. But one of the things that researchers have noticed is that in some creatures that regenerate limbs, it seems as though electrical currents might be involved. So when a human gets a cut, and you measure that cut, there is a positive current that runs through it that decreases slowly as the injury heals, right? So we've talked about in the episode that it's negative at the center, but the overall current of the uh, wound is positive. In newts, that is not what happens. So in newts, there is a positive current at first, like us, and then there's a sudden switch to a negative current. And some researchers think that perhaps this has something to do with this healing. Um, in the 1970s, researchers actually did look at applying a DC current to amputated sites on mammals, 
obviously mammals don't normally regrow limbs. Most of us don't. Um, in 1972, uh, a scientist published a paper in Nature called, quote, Stimulation of Partial Limb Regeneration in Rats, in which he applied low-voltage direct current to the stumps of amputated rat forelimbs, so the front ones, and reported that after 7 and 28 days, he observed, quote, Blastoma formation, new bone, bone marrow, cartilage, nerve, skin, muscle, and epiphyseal plate formation, which basically just means like lots of stuff grew. Um, more stuff than the rats that did not have the uh, current applied to them. And that work was sort of picked up by some other researchers, but it kind of like, again, never really went anywhere. And in reading about this, I just, I came back to that same question that I talked about in the episode where I was like, if there have been all of these interesting studies like, why don't we, like, why aren't we doing more of this? Like, why isn't there more stuff? Um, and I found one theory uh, really interesting. So in a 2007 paper about some more recent rat studies with this sort of electrical um, regeneration or electrically sort of stimulated regeneration, the authors argue that one reason regeneration in general has not really found a foothold in developmental biology is that there are not any model organisms that naturally regenerate. So model organisms are creatures that have been extensively studied in the lab. They're creatures that kind of wind up being the species that every single lab uses. So zebrafish, for example. And that's good because these they standardize experiments, right? So you're all working on the same species. You're all looking at the same thing. You can kind of control for any differences that might exist between different species or different creatures. But there's sort of a flip side to that. There's been a lot written about how over-reliance on model organisms can also limit our scope, right? You are only studying this one creature, this one animal, or this one plant, or this one bacteria, and you might be missing all this other stuff that's happening in these other places. And so this 2007 paper argues that that might be a piece of what's at play here, too, because there aren't any model organisms in the lab that spontaneously regenerate. Um, and so that's like maybe why there hasn't been as much work on it on like the sort of baseline basic biology level. So that was very interesting, but again, didn't quite fit into the episode. Um, another section that I cut from the episode was a section with a bit more information about the Flexner report. So Daniel mentioned in the episode that the Flexner report was this report that tried to sort of standardize and clean up medical schools and medicine in the United States. Um, the thing I did not mention is that today that report, the Flexner report, is also at the heart of a really important conversation around racial disparities in the medical industry. So among other things, the Flexner Report discouraged training through for-profit proprietary schools, which sort of sounds like a good thing, but the reality and in practice what wound up happening is that after the report was published, all but 66 medical schools in the U.S. shut down. And that included five of the seven black medical schools that existed at the time. And Flexner uh, wrote a bunch of very blatantly racist stuff in his report and elsewhere. He wrote that these schools, these black medical schools, were, quote, in no position to make any contribution of value, end quote. Um, he also wrote in the report that African-American physicians should be trained in, quote, hygiene rather than surgery, and that they should serve as sanitarians whose function was, quote, protecting whites from common diseases like tuberculosis. So bad, 
bad things. Um, earlier this year, researchers took a look at the impact of those closures, of the fact that five of seven Black medical schools closed, and they estimated that had those schools stayed open, they could have produced 35,000 graduates by 2019. Um, they arrived at that number by extrapolating from the graduation rates of the two schools that did stay open after the report, which were Howard University, which is in Washington, D.C., and Meharry Medical College in Nashville. So to put that 35,000 number in context, because I had a little trouble. I was like, what is that? Like, is that a lot? Is that a little? I don't, it, it seems like a big number, but I'm not really sure. The authors of this paper write that quote, if these five closed schools had remained open, they could have produced a 29% increase in the number of graduating African-American physicians in 2019 alone. So this is like a big deal. This report had a huge impact on medicine, not just on bioelectricity, but also on who gets to do medicine and what modern medicine looks like, sort of what doctors look like. Um, and modern medical ed education is still grappling with this and trying to kind of figure out how to rectify this huge imbalance and how to kind of right the ship, basically, post-Flexner report. So um, I'll link to all those studies and all that stuff in the show notes here. And the last thing about bioelectricity I wanted to add is that um, Daniel and I had an interesting conversation about science communication and sort of science journalism, which didn't really exist at the time of, you know, Mary Shelley or whatever. But um, this idea of like, how do you communicate interesting science that might also then be used for scams, essentially. Um, and I, I asked him whether he worries that his work might usher in sort of a new set of quack cures based on electricity, a new set of devices that like the ones that he mentioned, you know, the corsets that slim you with electrical current or whatever it is. Um, and here's what he said. There already is. And if you remember SkyMall, uh, you know, a lot of SkyMall is stuff like that and hairy growth hats and uh, magnetic bracelets that are supposed to change the polarity of your blood flow and your ions and right like there's a lot of things there the more disturbing part is that there's weird stuff out there the world is a strange place and you can't completely discount some of these effects like there aren't clear peer-reviewed studies showing that cell phones affect things and that's a form of AC radiation compared to electrotaxis, which is DC, but you get, you still get complaints around power lines and things that you can't completely dismiss. Uh, things like electroacupuncture, which is a charged version of acupuncture do appear to reduce swelling, but you can't, they haven't really been peer reviewed in a sort of Western medical context. So it's something where I don't want to categorically say that the alternative techniques don't work, but there are right ways and wrong ways to do them. And there are certainly most of them don't work. And I'm not sure how you stop that easily because electricity has always had a special place in our psyches because it's invisible except when it's lightning and it does all sorts of strange action at a distance things and who knows what it can and can't do. So, I think we do already have a lot of these problems. Um, and I think until we have a better sense of the science, it's hard to rebut some of them, if that makes sense. 
I think this is really interesting, right? Like, how do you balance scientific inquiry with the reality that there will always be people trying to scam their way to wealth and fame and the reality that some people are really afraid of science and afraid of things in general, right? Like you see now, we have people who are um, terrified of 5G and have all these sort of 5G conspiracy theories, and that is not based on any science and is dangerous. Um, At the same time, how do you make sure that you don't fall into the trap of making fun of people for things that they might actually have legitimate reasons to worry about? How do you kind of get into the nuance and the confusion and the complexity of what we do or don't know in science without kind of making people freak out or, you know, opening the door for charlatans and scammers, Um, which is all very hard, super challenging, um, but also very interesting. Okay, now we're going to take a hard left turn. (laughs) We're going to talk about tear gas. Um... So in the section where I talked to Sylvan about protest medics and street medics and Portland and the protests, um, she talked a little bit about tear gas, which has become sort of a staple of a lot of these protests. Um, I myself have been tear gassed at protests, uh, and it's not fun, I would say. I would not recommend it. Don't really like it. It's not that great. Um, And I wanted to talk a little bit about tear gas in the episode, but since the episode was really about like cuts and scrapes and flesh wounds. I should have used that clip in the episode. Oh, missed opportunity. I'm going to put it here. Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that then? I've heard worse. You liar. Come on, you pansy. Anyway, (laughs) since we were talking on the episode about injuries to the skin mostly, I did not end up talking a lot about tear gas. But I do think that tear gas is super interesting because there is so much misinformation about what it is, what it does, um, how often it's used, how lethal it is. So just a couple things about tear gas. For one thing, it is not a gas. Uh, Tear gas is a solid powder that can be aerosolized when mixed with a solvent, which is what those canisters that you see the police using, that's what they do when you see those big canisters that they shoot from like essentially a rocket launcher or a grenade launcher. Um, When that aerosolized powder mixes with like water and sweat and the oils in your skin, it dissolves into this painful, very acidic liquid, and that's what burns you. Um, Tear gas is also not non-lethal. People die every year from tear gas exposure, especially people with asthma, which is a very common condition. Um, I saw an amazing talk recently about technology and resistance put on by Virginia Tech, and one of the speakers, Jack Leff, who does a lot of work on tear gas and thinking about tear gas and studying tear gas, had some really interesting things to say about it. So I'm just going to play you a little bit of that talk. So here it is. And so while its name and marketing will give you the impression that it disperses quickly and is relatively unharmful, this is ultimately misleading. It can cling to clothing, to buildings, to objects for hours. Uh, If you go to a protest, the organizers will tell you to take out your contact lenses and to not use oil-based sunscreen because it can actually get trapped behind both of those things. Um, So a medic friend of mine, just to tell a fun story, uh, after being exposed to tear gas, went home several hours later washed their clothes three times with strong detergent. And then when they went to throw their clothes in the dryer, the dryer actually caught fire because the heat mixed with the tear gas to, and the tear gas is incredibly flammable. And importantly, the marketing of tear gas is such that it uh, claims that it's quote, less lethal weaponry. Uh, But in general, tear gas is far more lethal than the police would like you to believe, especially when it's used in contained spaces like jail cells. 
And in part, this uh, less lethal designation is a veneer or a facade. Uh, there's very little information out there about the harms of tear gas. There are zero, no studies, independent studies of the harms of tear gas, either locally or as it disperses. There are no international regulations governing the production of tear gas. And the records of who were killed by tear gas, like much like other police uh, killing records, are really hard to come by uh, for reasons we'll get into in a little bit. But we do know that hundreds of people every year die from tear gas exposure, and usually this comes about in one of two ways. I will link to the whole video for this talk in the notes of um, this podcast. It's definitely worth watching. There's tons of interesting stuff. You know, Jeff talks about tear gas and, and how it works and what it is. There's also a bunch of information about the ways that tear gas is used in jails and prisons, which are tiny spaces where the gas cannot disperse and sort of clings to everything and is super dangerous and really hurts people. So definitely go check out that talk. Okay, that is all the stuff that I did not get into this episode. There were lots of nooks and crannies. And one thing that I didn't talk about, and I honestly didn't even think of to talk about, but totally should have, was the question of waste. So like, where do these super band-aids go when they're done or when they're used? Are they another form of e-waste? Are they reusable? How many times can you reuse them? Where do they go at the end of their lives? You know, I did not look into that. I didn't think of that, but I totally should have. And I just want to say thank you to Dr. Alex Ketchum, who pointed that out on Twitter and asked those questions. Super smart. Definitely something that I should consider. Um, and in fact, reminded me that I really want to do an episode this season about the future of trash. So you're going to hear that coming up at some point later this year. Okay, and then last thing at the end, a very little secret. So I, all of August, I was off, mostly off Twitter. I would check it, you know, here and there um, to see if anyone was talking about Flash Forward, but I was not really looking at my own mentions. Um, I was finding before that that Twitter was like very not fun for me to be on. Um, it's And at this point, I have enough followers on Twitter, which is like a, such an annoying thing to say, but that like every tweet ends up with like a bunch of annoying replies in ways that I'm just like, ah, this is annoying. Um, and or like people trying to pick a fight when I like don't really want to fight with people on Twitter. Anyway, um, it was just making me nervous and unhappy. So I was off Twitter all of August. I'm slowly kind of like dipping back in, but trying to stay off. And I was talking to my partner about it. And he was like, oh, do you want me to just like give you a Twitter digest at the end of the day of like what happened, like the big stories on Twitter? Because one of my fears is I'm going to miss something important that's like happening on Twitter. There are conversations that are like very important on Twitter and that kind of really only happen on Twitter. Um, and so now at the end of every day, I get a little email updating me on the various nonsense that has happened on Twitter. And I don't actually have to go to the website, <laughs> which is great. I really deeply appreciate it. Okay, that's all for this one. Um, you'll hear me in your ears again next week, and I hope you have a great weekend. Bye.